Hello, Tom. Hello, Heron. Well, that was very strange indeed. Yeah. It just disappeared, huh? I booted, I was waiting to see the call recorder thing come up, and it didn't come up. And mysteriously, I checked my hard disk. It wasn't installed. I went back to the email and reinstalled it. Wow. Yeah, you know, what do you say about stuff like that? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that stuff happens to me, you know, once in a while, and I, and I just, I'm sort of left wondering, you know? Yeah, this is. I've got a model bar radio to record tomorrow. This would have been a major upset if I uh, wasn't able to record the calls. Yeah, yeah. Train nerds would have been angry, even more than Stone Ape related nerds. So yes, it would have caused quite some confusion, I'm sure. But <laughs> thankfully, well, I've got mine that. running too. So it's just, uh, you know, I mean, we could have done it, but. I agree. I don't like relying on other people for stuff I need. Damn skippy. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so it's been it's been a couple of weeks. I had some I like had like a drum roll of twenty four hour things. I lost my voice, <laughs> I had food poisoning, and then everything just in fact, I lost my voice, then I got a day back and we went and explored our storage unit. And then I got food poisoning and basically was back in bed again. And, but now I'm back to good health. I mean, yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> well, welcome. Yeah, there's nothing like, you know, it's, it's good to be reminded. Oh, you know, yeah. you, know you, you tend to, I anyway, tend to take my good health and abundant energy, <laughs> you know, uh, for granted. And then once in a while, you know, something happens that reminds me. <laughs> and uh, I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, it's good to be alive. It's good to yeah. be alive. Anyway, so I have a small selection of notes. I, I don't know, this week has just disappeared in front of me, and I didn't really have much time to assemble much of anything, but I do have a few notes of topics here. Um, since we've had a week off, that's given you an extra week to, to think of potential topics. Do you have anything you want to float? Oh, yeah, but I think I liked your list better. Oh, you saw my list. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Anyone in particular? Um, I can't remember any of them right now, Okay, so, <laughs> but I liked it. <laughs> so a, a brief update leading into a topic associated with the comic book project. Um, I've worked with the artist in Italy, Anita, for, I guess, maybe four weeks now. And she's just getting to producing the first, the final first nine pages it's actually quite interesting because um, she's considerably younger than I thought she was. She's only 25. And her stylistic view is very, I don't know what the term would be, kind of naive with a kind of slight art deco twist to it. It's really quite curious that the kind of background characters and things like that are occasionally wearing high heels and sundresses and things like that. I mean, it really is... I, I feel obligated to send her a copy of the book just so she can read it and get it to its full perspective. But she has generated, I don't know, I mean, she must have generated at least a week plus worth of work. And I've paid her for the first set of work in advance now because it's just getting to be almost a criminal enterprise, basically getting her to do so much work without any, without any payment. Yeah. But it is a very interesting process because I think, I realise that there are people that do this professionally. There are pre professional people that like review art and comic books yeah. and these kind of things. And I can kind of do it, but I just feel to the trained eye, it may look a little bit like schmuckery, which is kind of, a, so I printed out a page 
which I'm kind of carrying around and look at periodically to get a sense of her style. But she does have a very different vision associated with this project than probably I would have accepted six months ago. But as it is now... <laughs> yeah, yeah, your ideas change with time. <laughs> well, I think you, you, the stark reality of what $20 a page actually translates to, and I think I'm getting certainly far better than $20 a page from Anita. But it's a still, it's a strange interaction because my, she only goes online once a day. So I have an interaction with her, which is from typically when I wake up first thing in the morning and I review her art and give feedback accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then things niggle at me through the day and I try to limit it to maybe two emails per day. But there are certain things like, for example, one of the scenes is in front of a train station in Australia which you can now see perfectly on Google Street View. So you can actually see the train station, the kinds of houses, these kind of things. It was really quite surreal because I guess I'd been at that train station at least twice. And looking back on it in Google Street View, it was almost like a strange dream. I mean, it would have been now 20 years ago that um, actually I had been at that train station. But it's interesting because her vision is um, very different, I think, than, as I said, what I would have accepted six months ago. But I'm kind of letting it run with the view that when we get to, you know, maybe 20 or 30 pages, I'll start showing it to probably vastly more critical eyes, like the fellow who works on The Simpsons, for example. I mean, he'd be a good person to show it yeah. to. Um, but little things, her, her previous work is almost exclusively in web comics. And there are certain stylistic formats of But she comics. has been, she actually is a professional and has actually been producing work for people and getting paid for it. Yes. Okay, well, that's, that says a lot right there. <laughs> you know? she's, she's been able to maintain some survival through her yeah, work. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, inevitably, she's going to bring all of her life experience in her, in her art. That's certainly what I'm seeing, which is an interesting phenomenon because basically. I don't know what she. I don't know if she knows what she's gotten herself in for with this work. Sounds like you guys have to have a, a good conversation about stuff here. <laughs> I think the nature of our interaction is, um, yeah, it's an interesting process, particularly associated with, with with actual communication, because we have basically communicated exclusively via email so far. Oh, really? You haven't? You have never talked to her? I've never spoken to her. Holy shit. You're a brave person. Well, my view <laughs> is that you can frame certain things through correspondence. And certainly a large part of my correspondence is um, not necessarily praise and redirection, but it's praise and correction, I think. Yeah. Because basically there are certain... Well, you things. are the boss. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're hiring her to put your vision, and you're certainly interested in her ideas. Yes, but this is my project. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, it's my project in terms of the initial contents, but it's certainly very... Because obviously there's, this, there's the initial work, which I published, what, a few years ago now, and then there are the works that follow on from that that I've never actually published, but I'm seeing very much through her style now. So I think there may be some interaction, because although formally she's produced you know, not the full nine pages for me yet, but there have been probably at least three iterations of each page in her um, general sketches, basically illustrating what the thing is going to look like. 
And, yeah, it's a very, very interesting process, because I think it's certainly framing Mm -hmm. my, you know... See, the way I'm thinking about this is whatever your first product is, is going to define you. Mm. Oh, without question. uh, From then on, everything is going to be measured against that, and that's going to set up all the expectations and and anything and everything. So I, I would think that these issues are things that are critical, I certainly feel that way, and certainly the pages that she's produced for me, particularly now the 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 inked pages, I've put some quite solid corrections through with her based on that. But she's yeah. actually relatively receptive to that. Well, see, I see the thing is, I just can't imagine actually working on a project like this without having extensive voice communication. That that just strikes me as abs- I, I wouldn't do it. Period. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> I think there are I don't want to seem intimidating and my view is that because I'm approaching and the, the nature of this project both in terms of price per page but also in terms of what I was looking for is that I'm looking for an artist like Anita in terms of her level of experience but at yeah. the same point because it is a long term project but by the time frames that she's setting currently this is at least, I mean, in the terms of the initial work, the initial work could take upwards of a year to produce. Yeah. You got, it seems to me you guys have to come to a meeting of minds about what this project really is. I mean, if you're really going to partner with this person to do it, then either you're going to just accept what she gives you mm. or, <laughs> you know. I, I have about a 20% acceptance. I mean, I think her creative vision on certain things I've been willing to go with but the the only the only lingering issue is whether I can get into some of the kind of deeper, darker material, particularly in the sequel, with her style and the fact that I've I've made the point to her that she illustrates the characters in a I don't know whimsical way that basically isn't really attributed to the characters. But yeah. I think also... Well, that's important. The, the I mean, whimsical that's... way is interesting because I think it may actually lead the reader in a particular part. So it's not something that I've really heavily corrected. Yeah, I got you. Well, like I say, it's just... Well, yeah, there's not much more I can say about this. I, I just... <laughs> I can't imagine that you can't get on Skype and spend two and a half hours talking with her. I don't understand what her circumstances are. And my view is that... I'm relatively mindful, particularly if I'm going to get an artist for an extensive body of work, that this is a a process where I don't... I'm really mindful once I put in any money, I have to be really careful associated with, uh, uh, well, just circumstances that could cause this thing where she just walks away, because I don't want to have put in any money... Well, yeah, but you don't want to keep her around if she's not the right person. She's not given me those kind of indications yet. She's certainly considerably better than the people I've worked with previously. Um, But, yeah, it is an interesting... Well, that's the game you're playing. I mean, yeah, you're right. (laughs) As I've shared with you, the the sequel (laughs) elements that I'm working with, particularly visually, because I'm through her style, I'm having to expand certain sections in the sequel because I see, you know, her style lends itself to certain things and 
not necessarily yeah. others. But I'm going through this in my dream space currently, which is really, really very curious. So based on partially because I wake up to her drawings, but also partially because I've used my dream space to map out some of the areas in the sequel quite extensively. It's a very interesting hybridization project. I am now sleeping with my laptop on sleep, you know, in the drawer beside me, because when I wake up, I want to basically get the dream vision, the the um, granularity, perhaps, of various textures and environments into a written form, which hopefully she'll be receptive to when we come to those sections. However, at the pace that she is drawing currently, like I say, we have at least another year to a year and a half before she even gets to that. Yeah. yeah. So it is a long-term project, and I think in in... Looking at things like Kickstarters, for example, a lot of that has gone by the wayside of my own thinking. I mean, obviously, it will be a project of, that will launch through something like that. But I'm less concerned currently about the ebbs and flows of Kickstarters and far more interested in actually, as you say, getting the maximum out of this you know, delivery, basically. Yeah. Um, but it is a fascinating process. And really, it's actually quite invigorating to me. Um, I mean, in, in parallel to this, I've been doing a lot of development with Noble Ape as well. The The latest thing that I'm implementing is a fully networked version of Noble Ape, which means that you can literally allocate computers and have them running various groups of apes all in the same community. And this has been a, <laughs> a relatively long time coming, actually, but the, the, the impetus to do it is just because I do a lot of that with my day job currently. I mean, I'm I'm doing a lot of, you know, this kind of computation, and I see the potential in making a few changes in Noble Ape to make it more into a kind of distributed network simulation, with the view that nothing will take away from being run on a computer, but it just is a completely different kind of simulation um, when it's done over a network. And the way in which subtle information is communicated is really quite important. These two things in parallel are taking a vast quantity of my free time currently. You have free time? Yeah, well, the thing about (laughs) it is, Aaron, when you you work, you know, when you work how many hours a a day, how many days a week, and I've been working the evenings too over um, parts of this week, you really appreciate and want to maximize your, you know, any any latent time you have. I mean, as I note, I'm using my dream space currently to do additional <laughs> writing <laughs> projects. So, you know. But to, this, there are kind of two-prong elements here. The first is just a subtle thing. A, a co-worker mentioned to me today that I should... Um, now I'm known for doing these podcasts particularly podcasts and relatively eclectic topics like Model Rail. He noted to me that there was a podcast that he thought I should do associated with um, the fringes of science, very much in the kind of Rupert Sheldrake school of um, not necessarily debunking, but certainly exploring the boundaries of science. Yeah. And I took a deep breath and said, actually, I've explored that area and you get a lot of hate mail. And it is an interesting phenomenon because I certainly... Podcasts where I get even, I mean, the case of Model Rail Radio is an interesting one. I mean, receiving seven emails in one week of a negative light, I now get on average an email a week that's negative associated with Model Rail Radio. 
But I do optimize my time very much in avoiding this. What are they of, complaining about? Uh, is, as, there, is there one or, I mean, is as, it just as, completely off the wall? As noted in our discussions about this, there are two characters yeah. that appear on a regular basis. Okay, all right. All right. Oh, so it's still that. Yes. <laughs> okay, all right, I got you. No one can get over that, apparently. So the funny thing is, <laughs> I, I'm now of the philosophy, Heron, and... I've, I've come to this through two very distinct areas that that if you give anyone advice, particularly advice and things that they should change to improve your working or yeah. interacting relationship with them, they will get worse. Oh, yeah. No, the only time I ever give advice now is if people pay me. <laughs> well, even when I'm paid to give advice, I feel that um, people will just do, they'll get worse. Uh, then they're not paying enough. <laughs> You're selling oh, I see what too you're cheap. I see what you're saying. Yes, if they pay you, yes, as opposed to being paid in general. Well, if yeah. you're trying to cajole them into changing so that they can be better, they're immediately going to resist that. Something that I've been pondering through your recent Facebook posts is associated with a general message. Can what what you look at <laughs> Facebook associated with? Potentially, firstly, a means of. I see it as a as an extension of my journal now. That this is now my journal. Mm. Uh, instead of putting it, uh, you know, on paper or on my desk or on my iPad, uh, this it goes back a couple of years. It's got every everything that I've thought was sort of interesting is on this page. So, the repetition... Better than watching TV. True. Everything's better than watching TV. <laughs> That's right. If you... Listen, okay, a little, little yeah. commercial. Listen, if you watch more than uh, two hours of TV a night, you should stop watching TV for one of those hours and view my Facebook page. Start right back at the beginning of it and go through the whole goddamn thing. It'll be much better for you than anything that could ever happen to you on television. What okay. does the role that repetition plays in your Facebook page? Oh, uh, <laughs> listen, when you're training language monkeys, repetition is part of it. I'm saying things and using language in ways that people are not familiar with hearing. They're, they're word combinations and, and verb usages and word coinages that are new and uh and they, it's like just like any commercial works. You tell somebody something 10,000 times and at least they, they begin to get familiar with the idea. Do you think they'll be receptive to the repetition? I don't really care. I know they, I know they are. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't care what they think. <laughs> it doesn't make any – if they read it, it goes in. And, and they notice that it's gone in before. <laughs> it is – yeah, it is an interesting phenomenon in terms of the way – I mean, what one can use Facebook for in the setting – and it's something that has interested me associated with potentially changing or reframing the notion that people will come to, you know, your Facebook page at various different stages. But if you're producing, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. this is the interesting thing is that some comments will obviously be aimed for the, you know, the, the first time. Well, you know, that's about uh, breaking this up into uh – some sub segments. That's what I started the Gendo page. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything with it, mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately, that I mean, this thing is really my journal. 
it, it don't look for anything unified here. Is whatever interests me goes in here. So, yeah, it is interesting because I think there was a period of time, probably at least two years, where I was getting, I don't know, 30 or more people per month that were connecting with me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that period has pretty well dropped off. <laughs> I'm not sure what the phenomena is. I'm not sure whether everyone who would ever go on Facebook is now on Facebook. I'm not sure what the phenomena is associated with. Well, I think that's just the way everything is. Or, or, or not everything, but many systems, that's the way they, they work. There's a flood, and then, and then there's the long tail, as they say. That's a standard uh, format. But I guess my thought is... If we are creating new content or new ideas or mm-hmm. things that are progressing in some way, I would imagine that the relatively small groups that we've gathered on Facebook would would proceed would continue to grow. I mean, model, model yeah. radio has yeah. continued to yeah. grow. You know. Yeah. No, well, again, I to me, this is a thirty to fifty year project. I just can't be bothered with the trends over the last year or two. But you've been in it for thirty years, so is it then an eighty-year uh, project? No, no, I'm no, I'm <laughs> no, I wasn't. I, I didn't know that was what I was doing until recently, actually. But I the mean, whole I, blueprint is there in 1982. Yeah, I know, but but I didn't have a context for it that I have now. Yeah, I, I had a lot of the facts. I had a lot of a lot of pieces of the puzzle, and some of them were fitting together into chunks. But I still, well, I still don't have the big picture. But I've got a big enough picture to where things sort of make sense now. But I mean, unless you were lying in your writing, which I don't think is the case, there's certainly <laughs> well, you never can tell. <laughs> you never can tell. But you formulated it pretty perfectly in 1982. I mean, I think okay, we, yeah. It's there. Well, the well, is in, there. in what? Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, it, it's shocking to me to go back and see uh, that the basic. Well, see, it goes right back to the very beginning. This thing hit me out of the blue. I, I didn't study or meditate for thirty years before I woke up. I, I, I picked up a fucking book because a girl had big tits, <laughs> and I read the book, and I woke up from the trance of language. I had no context for it. I didn't know what to do. I, I had, I didn't, the idea that I woke up from the trance of language was not in my repertoire of verbalities, if that's a word. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I had this book, this Alan Watts guy, Zen Buddhism, you know, so that, that became important, but I don't even know what I'm talking about now. I got I, I guess we're talking, we're, we're talking about the difference <laughs> between what you had in 1982 in terms of oh. created vision. I think I have some context. Have I think I have. I think I have a context that um, that actually makes sense now on on the on all levels. You know that, that you can you can. A context that's big enough to handle it from so-called spirituality down to nuclear physics. I guess you can say, and it's really that. simple too. It's really yeah. just this idea of the you know that we have experience and we have stories about experience, and then of course we have stories about our stories about experience, and that's when it starts to get weird. But 
from that basic analysis as a starting point, almost everything gets real clear real fast. Most of the problems in the world are a result of the stories that people are running in their language machines. It's an interesting example, actually, of punctuated equilibrium because the Internet was the missing piece in 1982. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing, yeah. I was hopelessly alone. You know, I was, I was reading stuff. I had no money. I didn't give a shit about work. <laughs> so I just made I, – I was probably tuning pianos in those days. And I had lots of time to read and study. So it's interesting actually because I thought about this in terms of even what I was saying three years ago. And I think the, the progression of this that I found in my own life – has come through a series of experiences which have not necessarily been part of, you know, an explicit narrative that I'll put out. I mean, particularly associated with the development of Noble Ape. But it is an interesting process that I think my message has changed quite fundamentally even in the past three years. And I can go back to writing that I did in, you know, 2009, 2008, and I get a keen sense of that. But the things that have changed in my own life, particularly associated with location, associated with economics, associated with what I do with my, you know, nine to five job, all these things have fundamentally changed what I would say my message was. If anything, it's enabled me to have, well, a capacity to employ someone to, you know, write a comic book, for example. <laughs> That's but also right. it allows you to produce stuff yes. for us. But I've always produced stuff. There's been no shortage of me producing stuff. I've just had to um, coax others, such as Bob Mottram, for example, and you fundamentally, um, to produce stuff as well. Yeah. And I think the what has changed in the past three years has actually been almost akin to what changed when I moved out of Australia, which is a lot of the weight and the burden and the nonsense that I had to endure for a particular part of my life has lifted. You know, yeah, maybe replaced yeah. with different nonsense. Yeah, but yeah, it but, it, yeah but but it, and it was more obvious nonsense mm. because it was uh, it was new nonsense. Mm. You know, and the and the old nonsense was gone. <laughs> yes, yeah, quite liberating. So. Yeah, it certainly motivated a change in almost everything that I do. And I reflect on this currently because I would like to motivate similar changes in the next three years. And through things like the comic, maybe that gives it through things like I've stopped doing academic writing for a start. And having met a bunch of academics as I did last year, <laughs> I feel quite liberated from that. Yeah. There are individual people out there that you need to hook up with. Mm. And, and they could and some of them are in academia, but probably most of them aren't. They're yes. you know, and uh wherever they are, you need to find them. Yes. But it made me realize And you can now. See, mm. I mean, that's the difference is mm. that now you can. Well, you already know a whole bunch of people. Yeah, the right? historical legacy part is interesting because this is the comic book still. I mean, it's a completely different format, but it's still taking writing that I wrote when I was 17 about experiences then and creating it in a different form. Now, obviously, I do you know manipulations based on my experiences from that period of time until now as well. But it is an interesting... It does have um, a similar kind of metaphor, if you want a better term, to your 
you know, your legacy work, but it has embodied itself in a different way. Well, my legacy work? Well, the, the journals, the journals oh. in terms oh, okay. of, you know, the, the blueprint in 1982. Ah, nah, see, but again, the journals are really just the wake. <laughs> They're what's left behind. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I think Watts used that analogy. Mm. The, the wake of the boat, that's what the journals are. Uh, the boat at any moment can change direction. You never know where the hell the boat's going to go. The Not necessarily the candor of the journals, but certainly the subject matter of the journals changes dramatically, even within journals, but certainly from journal to journal. Well, there there really isn't a bunch of... There's only one journal. They just are broken up into pages because you have to break things okay, up Okay, so the temporal, the temporal nature of the journal yeah. changes the themes quite dramatically. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, it was my journal. But <laughs> it was what was going on in my life at that time. It's interesting, for ex- I mean, it's interesting the progression, though, through that and how it reflects on your current work. I mean, there are large sections of the journal that, for whatever reason, you discarded. I discarded? Well, the, the robot, for example, the, well, the notion of the human as the robot and the exploration of computation and robotics through that doesn't really... I don't know whether Kurzweil killed that. I'm not sure who killed that in terms of your thinking. Oh, I never was. A, oh, that, that was never a strong component of my thinking. It was, it's, an, it's always been a sort of interesting uh, idea to think about. Mm. But uh, I, I've always realized that, I mean, to really work in that field, you, you have a lot of work to do to get ready to work in that field. And, I, and that wasn't going to happen. Mm. <laughs> so it's just, it's just something that strikes me as really important. And uh, and interesting, but I don't know shit about it. So whatever I wrote in there was just some imaginings that I was having about it or something. I don't know. Yes, I guess I was listening to I through Model Rail Radio. There's a fellow who comes on occasionally who's a former commercial lobster fisherman, who also is a like a long-standing like published model rail person. He teaches scenery techniques and a wide variety of other things. And he also barbecues wow. as well. <laughs> so he has all these facets. And when he comes on, I make sure I ask him some commercial lobstering questions some barbecue questions <laughs> and some model rail questions. But he, he painted quite beautifully this nature of childhood wonder that um, captivated him associated with trains. And as I was listening to it, I realized that the same thing had captivated me with regards to computers. The interesting thing with your awakening was that it happened after you went to Vietnam, correct? Um, no. It happened before you went to Vietnam? Yeah. It was, um, well, geez, you know, let me think. No. No, it ha- you know, you're right. Yeah, it was before I went to Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know, yeah, it was before I went to Vietnam. Because you made reference, actually, to missing your books when you were in Vietnam. Uh, Well, in any case, it's clear because it was the summer of 67, and I was living in Manhattan Beach, and that was where I was living before I went to Vietnam. Yeah. (laughs) And you were in Vietnam after Tet, weren't you? Uh, Tet didn't have yeah it was after tet when when i got there. well tet comes up every year there was the tet offensive certainly yes, yeah 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 and i was there after that yeah yes. yeah yeah that was a fascinating year jesus wow <sighs> so in terms of 
we've never really explored the, you know, the short period of time between Enlightenment and then going to Vietnam. You you volunteered for Vietnam, though, didn't you? Uh, well, <laughs> hardly. No, I was hoping to avoid it. Uh, I got lucky. I got lucky in that I was stationed at L.A. International Airport for the mm. first three years. You know, <laughs> that was why I was living in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> because, because I was I was stationed at LAX. There were no barracks. There's no base there. I was there to support uh, sp- space and missile systems, mm-hmm. which which was in El Segundo there, right by the airport. So, um, yeah, what can I say? Did you? But you volunteered. You weren't drafted. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It was clear. I, they were drafting everybody, and it was just a, a, a lottery. And if you get drafted, you get you get stuck in the army. You end up with an M16 in the jungle. <clears throat> and I, I had no plans on having an M16 and being in the jungle. Thank you. So I joined the Air Force. <laughs> and did you? Do I basic- didn't have enough guts to just leave the fucking country. <laughs> I didn't have any real balls. I just took the chicken shit way out. <laughs> Did you do any basic training for the Air Force? Sure, they they put you through uh, about a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. of, yeah. Well, all the services have basic training. Yeah, right. So, did they ship you off to a camp somewhere, or did you do it in the in no LA, no or no? It, it? it went to um, Lubbock, Texas. There's an Air Force base mm-hmm. outside of Lubbock, Texas, and that's where the Air Force does or did at that time all of their basic training. Wow, you could have trained with George W. Bush. <laughs> he trained in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> Gee, I don't remember George, but uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone remembers George. No, no, he was a sort of yeah forgettable character. Yes, George. Yeah, well, let's not get let's not go into that. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> so you went to basic training in Texas, and then you came back, and you were there for three years, and then they sent you to Vietnam, and then then for my last year, they decided to reward me. <laughs> <laughs> by sending me to Vietnam. Yes. <laughs> and you, you were continuing the same role that you had in L.A., but you were in Vietnam. Um, yeah, sort of, yeah. I mean, I worked in, we called it supply. Basically, it was, you know, logist, you know, getting all the stuff you need to have a base, you know, or keeping it in a warehouse, getting it to people, keeping records about what's where and you know, running a, a warehouse for a, an Air Force base. So I had it pretty easy in Vietnam. I was in, I was in the room with the computers. <laughs> it was, that was back when we had those fucking 80-column punch cards. You must remember those. Oh, I, yes. or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah that was... That was a that was fun. Anyway, we had an I had an, I was one of the only people on the base that had an air conditioned office. Wow. <laughs> very good, very good. And when you came back, you were in commercial logistics associated with air freight as well, weren't you? No. You got a job when you got back, though, didn't you? Uh, oh yeah, I worked for the company that. Uh, yeah, ah, yeah. There, there, there was a, a civilian company that worked. You know, that had a contract to manage uh, uh, all these warehouses and all this material uh, at SAMSO, that Space and Missile Systems Organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even remember the name of the company now. But anyway, when I got out of the Air Force, I'd, I'd worked with those people. I knew them, and I got a job there when I got out. Mm. You know, in the warehouse. 
<laughs> but you weren't you weren't driving a forklift or anything like that. No, 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 no. I was shuffling paperwork in the office. In the office, yeah. Well, in the warehouse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you went to university following that. Yeah. Yeah. Then I got in. See, then I became a. I guess. God, you know, I don't know. You probably know more about this than I do. I, I feel that way, Aaron. I feel that way. <laughs> I mean, I was a piano tuner there for a long time. That was how I made my living, and that, that worked out real good. Except that, I, again, you have to really take things as a business. You, you know, it can't just be a hobby. <laughs> No, eventually, but but by that time I stumbled into uh, teaching English as a second language, and that was awesome. Hmm. So, how long have you been at the paper? Oh, long time, maybe sixteen years. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because you were you were one of the first people there. Yeah, there were. I was the second employee. So you you are, as they say in the business, you know where the bones are buried, which means that you're... No, because I actually don't give a shit and don't even pay any attention. I don't know anything. But other people think that you know where the bones are buried. Oh, yeah. Well, no, they don't give a shit either. They don't know how long I've been there. Because the the turnover is, is, you know, I mean, is huge. So people come and go all the time. Mm. Nobody's been... I mean, there's one guy that's been there like six years or so. You know, and actually there are a couple of people that have been there... And they probably know I've been around, but, you know, other people just come and go. They don't know. I'm just another guy who's there. Mm. Yeah, my brother, <laughs> who's now, I guess, 29, has his first, has had his, is in his first government job. Having uh-huh. worked for himself and worked for a series of small businesses, he's finally fallen into the quicksand <laughs> that is government employment. In Doing Canada. what? Um, he, worked, he has an amazing job, actually. He works in the local science centre creating exhibits that are sent all around Australia. Holy shit. So That's he, nothing to be... Yeah, that's awesome. He has a degree in automotive design, and I guess he, he still... He really wants to be... He really wants to own his own business. I mean, he does own his own business, which he works on on the weekends. Yeah, he, he, does, really he just doesn't want to have to go to work for them. He wants yeah. to make his living doing what he wants to do. But, I mean, I still think it's an amazing job, and certainly the kinds of things that he creates yeah. are inspiring young children to go yeah, into science. Yeah, that's great. So, that's you know. wonderful. But we did lament associated with the kind of structural bureaucracy, which obviously he'd not been exposed to up until now. And yes, it was a. I mean, obviously, no matter where you work, if you have more than five people that you work with, you have some structural bureaucracy that just comes along with it. Kind yeah. of function of humanity. Well, again, see, we, we could uh, get back to the concept of language monkeys. <laughs> I mean, Certainly. I work in an office full of language monkeys. Some mm. of them are quite nice. I get along well. I mean, I can play that game. It's mm. not that difficult, you know. And uh, I, I actually enjoy it. There's a, the, the accountant and the business manager, uh, women, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have no, it's not like we're friends. I don't give, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. we have a sort of mutual understanding that we're okay. We won't bother each other. And, <laughs> and yes. the rest of these people are sort of crazy. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know? yes. As, as these things tend to happen. I also talked to my other brother who is now having worked in a bureaucracy for, I don't know, probably 10 years now, has now moved to working part time so he can work on his, his business part time as well. As I was talking with my other brother, his girlfriend is going to Afghanistan for six months. 
For a vacation? No. <laughs> she works for the Australian uh, Department of Defence, and she's going to be on uh, the airbase in Kabul, which I pointed out without even thinking that I had <laughs> seen many times in video games from um, the early turn of the century. Um, <laughs> because, yes, it was a relatively uh, heavily fought area. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it really... The whole phenomena associated with sending young people, or really sending young people to fight other young people in these kind of environments, yeah. just... Well, that the young people go. <laughs> and don't yes. just say, hey, fuck you, man. I yes. ain't gonna go do that. Amen. <laughs> um, See, that's, that's why the hope is with the children. We need to educate children to think for themselves course you know that's not going to be well i don't think it'll be that difficult to sell really yeah it, it was interesting over memorial day a fellow who i don't even know i mean obviously through model rail radio i know a wide variety of folk but somehow um the fellow who i guess was in his early 20s had posted about how ludicrous it was the soldiers coming back with PTSD when they had in fact volunteered to go, and that this whole notion of Memorial Day failed to capture the you know ludicrous nature of the circumstance, <laughs> uh, which for him. of course he was receiving <laughs> oh death God, threats and death other. Threats, uh, yes. <laughs> it's a funny thing, freedom of speech. It's a yeah. funny thing. Yeah. Well. That's exactly this. That's why it's scary. It's kind of scary because these uh, are the former these children, Heron. Get, these yeah. are the former children. These are the 18, 19, and 20 year olds. Let's hope for the zero. No, oh, one no, and no. We, it's the next. No, we haven't even started yet. Yes. Uh, I mean, there are, I still, uh, although I, I still think the younger generation, no matter how fucked up they are, at least are not as naive as I was. You know, they know. The world is fucked up, and they're pissed, and they're dejected, and all sorts of things. But at least they don't have the illusion that it's just them. <laughs> you know, they know the world sucks, and I think some of them can be persuaded to get involved in changing it. You knew that too, though. My Pardon? parents knew that. I don't think that was something that's new and revolutionary. I think every... Oh, you're right. It's nothing new at all. No, you're right. No, yeah, it's nothing new about it at all. The question is whether uh, the situation is more ripe now for people to begin to wake up, and I think it is. I think, I think that uh, again, this is no not like any other time in history. We are into new territory here, and from what from my analysis, like I say, I'm really optimistic. It seems to me clearly the direction uh, you know that things are going, and it's it's. Metamorphosis is the best analogy that I can think of, and that pretty much lays out how this process unfolds. And we are near the end of that process. I mean, f physically, the the butterfly is pretty much in place. <laughs> you know, it's just some of the software that needs to be updated. <laughs> yes, yes. So one of the projects that I've discussed through uh, our conversation is my Getting Rid of Books project, which ah, yes. I've now gotten to the stage where I have a group of books 
associated with the military, military history, warfare, these kind of things. And I'm starting to think that I need to do the same kind of selective pruning to the point of removal that I've done with a wide variety of other genres previously. And many of them could probably go into some sort of storage. Just, I mean, if, there may be things you want to keep that you don't really no, you, you see, know, want to have to dust off every day. My wife <laughs> and know? I, last weekend, went into our storage and we cleared out uh, maybe a quarter of it in terms yeah. of donating it. Yeah. We didn't reach any of my books that I already have in storage. I have a library's yeah. worth of books already in storage. Yeah, well, but that's a good books, place for them. Well, no, I think there's a better place for them, and that's in general circulation. My view ah, is yeah. that books now are um, heavy and give, liabilities. And give them know. to the library. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, and that's the easiest way for you, too. You just put them in a box, go down there, exactly. dump them off, and say, thank you. Exactly. And that's what I did. I took like 15 huge boxes full of books to the library. Yes. It was awesome. They were so happy to get them. Yes. <laughs> and I was so happy to see them get them. Yes. It was great, yeah. It is an interesting process because I'm starting to realize that what will happen eventually is that I will end up with maybe 20, maybe 40 books that actually represent something very strongly to me. Yeah, I've got more than that now. I I could probably get rid of some of my stuff, but I've I've got somewhere uh, probably around 100 I'm looking at right now. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, around 100 though. Yes. And uh, I could probably, I don't even know what's there, so I could probably get rid of 50% of it. Well, that's what I'm doing currently. I mean, that's what I'm doing currently. I'm holding them in my hands. I'm reading them as I need to read them. And once I read them, I discard them. Yeah, yeah. send them up. Yeah, pass it on, man. Give it to somebody else. That learning is for someone else. That's the way I'm feeling. Yeah, I got that lesson. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Someone else may need to learn this. Yes. But it is an interesting process because I think there will actually be a time when I am probably, I will probably have a small bookshelf that will represent my books. I'd like to, I I actually, as I look at my books right now, I would be thankful to actually get rid of all of them. If I could get good e-books. Yes. Um, I could get rid of that whole thing, clear up some space in my room. And, um, and yeah. It is a phenomenon associated with the benefits of even a small amount of space. You can... Well, plus these things get dusty. The mold phenomena is something that really scares me. Yeah, you know, they're just... You gotta take... take, It's just... It's just, and when you you take, I mean, the beauty of an ebook, man, you can look at all the notes that you took during it, all there. Click on it, go right to that part of the text. You know, I mean, it, live links to the web. I mean, fuck, why the hell would anybody want to read? And now I'm I'm stuck now with like four paper books that I have to read in the next month or two, probably, mm-hmm. because none of them are available. <laughs> you know, as ebooks. Duh. You're making slow progress with those books. Or do you uh, feel that? I'm sorry, what? I, I feel, because we've been talking about this for probably at least five weeks now, mm-hmm. that you are making slow progress with those books. Oh, there's a couple. There were, there were a couple other books. I just recently switched uh, to something else. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm in no hurry. It's just, and actually I'm taking extensive notes as I go through it because I'm, 
if I mention, I don't know if I've mentioned this book in particular, The Art of Awareness by J. Samuel Bois. That's the one you keep mentioning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the more and more I, that book really impresses me. So as I go through it this time, I'm really sort of re-editing it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that that it just is unnecessary now. I mean, it's been handled since he wrote that book. Mm. And uh, and there are other things uh, where m- metaphors could change that be more attractive. And there are whole other things I can just drop out. Uh, and I want to add some stuff to it. <laughs> so mm. so anyway, uh, I'm yeah, I'm seeing that really as a sort of central text for for Gendo. It mm. really it's got everything and more. Actually, that's why I want to get rid of the more. But it's got everything that I think is really abs- you know necessary if you want to want to really cover all the bases. Mm. So so I'm reading it very carefully and taking my time with it. Mm. And in the process, I realized I liked the guy so much, and I'd never read any of his other books. So that's why I just ordered three more. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because I want to read his other work and see how that matches up with this one. Interesting. Interesting. He was a Jesuit priest before he quit the church. I have, I'm not sure if we've discussed the whole notion of monasticism and, you know, and the priesthood associated with scholarly pursuits. But my view is, without any religious perspective. I mean, this is the lifestyle that you aspire to as well. Isn't oh, yeah. Well, I, that's, I'm quite clear. I, I, one of my aims would be uh, to create a Gendo monastery, a place where people who are absolutely devoted to exploring language and, and using what they learn to share, to share it with children, <laughs> specifically, or anybody who uh, wants to know about that. Yeah. How's your wine glass looking, Heron? Oh, I, no, you're not supposed to encourage me. No, actually, it's going very slow. I haven't had oh, hard right. any of it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely yeah. sweltering hot here, and I have a cat yeah. that's wandering around wanting to be let out, so I thought that would be an ideal opportunity, but I can keep limbering. I can no, limber on. Yeah, you can just limber right on because I, my glass <laughs> is almost full. Wow. Gosh. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. You, your space must be distinctly cooler than my space, I guess. Um, you got it, man. It's immeasurably cooler than yours. Very good. <laughs> very, very good. So, a couple. Well, of I've got a fan blowing on. Ah, uh, yes. You see, I don't have that. I don't have that. So, no, that a couple, really a couple makes of a other difference. topics that I. And um, I'm naked. I don't wear any clothes when I'm at home. So, I got a fan blowing on me. It's just as comfortable as I couldn't be any more comfortable. Very. Now good. that everybody has that disturbing image. <laughs> <laughs> Only some of us, Heron. Only some of us. So, a phenomenon that has occurred to me, which I guess was my experience growing up as well, but was embodied by some discussion that we had associated with your journal, was this notion of peer, people that don't want to be parents. And the phenomena of um, realising, I guess, as an adult with a child, that you don't want to, that this isn't your... <laughs> yeah, really, I've made a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's hard to face. I think, I think that would take a lot of guts for someone in that position to be that honest with themselves and deal with that and try to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. I suspect people 
bury most of those kinds of deep contradictions and and things like that and and then go into the office with a AK-47 someday. <laughs> well, you see, I mean, my my experience growing up, and even more phenomenally when my brothers were born, because my father left soon after, was that really neither of my parents wanted to have children. Yeah. And I think it was a phenomenon that occurred to me really from early childhood because I well, would but spend that's, a lot of... And that's an old theme. I mean, that's nothing new. I mean, that's the way European aristocracy, they never had anything to do with their kids. They... They had people to do that. Yeah, but sometimes the people out there. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very interesting phenomena associated with the kind of intellectual adult realization of that. And it was something yeah. that I really had to come mm-hmm. to terms with when I interacted uh, yeah. with my father. Mm, um, yeah. But also when I interacted with my mother, because my mother has very little traditional maternalism in her. Yeah. So have you ever talked to her about oh, that? Of course, Ask her, yes. why did you have kids? What yeah, the fuck I mean, were I you thinking? <laughs> yes. It's funny actually because a warning sign. See, I think that's that yeah. it was easier for me to say no all to that in the beginning. I think this part of this is the time element. You know, the world, the zeitgeist. Uh that kind of idea was just too radical for just about everybody then. I don't think so. Well, not everybody. Obviously, some people did. But I'm just thinking, I, I'm, I'm thinking that today, that, I, that isn't so hard to come to that realization. Not nearly as hard. In fact, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure pushing uh, teens in that direction. What do you mean? What, well, uh, I mean, the not wanting... To get involved in the same kind of situation they grew up in, a family. Yes. You know, with kids that belong to the parents, and the parents tell them what to do, and the kids hate it, and blah, 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 and all that. They've got no good – well, I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm generalizing. Obviously, there are a lot of people who have really good family lives, but I think there are also a large number of, of kids who are brought up in really pretty shitty circumstances because their parents really don't give a fuck. Yes. It is an interesting phenomenon. I mean, it's something that I've had to deconstruct through my late teens and my adult life because I have completely different emotions associated with my mother and my father, but they both fundamentally have the same view that children are... (laughs) extraneous you know they're they're not there's something that happens when you have sex (laughs) no more than that (laughs) that um and then you have to deal with them i guess there's a phenomenon which i see and i see this perhaps in my co-workers where their children are the center of their lives oh yeah 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 and that is well something's got to be a center everything else is a fucking waste (laughs) but that whole phenomenon is so alien to me and i guess my wife talks in some light associated with her experiences through childhood like that in terms of her you know mother's devotion to her children Yeah. But it certainly wasn't a phenomenon in my life. And I think the interesting thing is that you embody part of that as well in terms of your just general discussion associated with parenthood. Yeah, I think it's a very special calling that maybe one person in a hundred is really up to. And since we're going to be immortal beings anyway pretty soon, we're probably going to have to figure a way to end reproduction generally. Uh 
I think yeah, the, the, that the, shouldn't the, be a problem. I think the environment provides enough sterilance in the circumstances that I think eventually that's probably going to be, you know, a phenomena. I'm not sure if you've seen, um, is it Children of Man? Oh, that where nobody can get pregnant anymore, and that yeah, that guy's smuggling the baby out yes. or something. Yeah, yeah, which I don't remember an, much. Which was an interesting yeah. film because it had yeah. um, it had a few curious kind of throwbacks to Timothy Leary and Terence McKenna through it. You may have caught the references, but you know, I don't remember. I saw it years ago, yeah. and it was it's fun. N- it's not the best film for yeah. a variety of reasons, but it still has King Crimson in the. Um, in the uh, movie track list, <laughs> and that in and of itself, because that's it's the enough, only, right there. It's the only King Crimson that you can actually get through MP3 legally. All the other King Crimson works, they never King Crimson themselves had a kind of nihilistic view associated with electronic music and making money, I guess. Um, and they have not released any of their other works <laughs> for uh, electronic distribution. They're more Beatles than the Beatles in that light. Well, but they're still all there anyway. Who fucking cares? Well, you (laughs) You see, this is the whole notion is that if a book doesn't become an electronic book after a period of time, is it still there? Uh, No, it doesn't count. I think... uh, So the same is true with music, I think. As long as it's there... Yeah, I mean, co- all that copyright shit, that they can, uh, that's, that's fine. That's, they can argue all that shit. As long as it's there, and there are people who can hack the system and make it available. <laughs> the problem is that they also flooded the market through the 80s and 90s with a series of, um, what up, cu- not cut-up recordings, but basically re-releases that had a variety of tracks missing. It's mm-hmm. really a very strange phenomenon what happened with the well, all of, music yeah, yeah. Well, but that's the reality you have to deal with. You know? Yeah, right. But again, I mean, it's nice to have vinyl and all that shit, but I, mean, I think 300 years from now, 1,000 years from now, that's, you know, maybe in some museum somewhere they'll preserve all this kind of stuff. In fact, they should, actually. You're right. It should all be preserved so in a museum. My brother, <laughs> well, because he had access to it while I was out of Australia, started MP3-ing my vinyl collection. He got about 10% into it before he got completely frustrated with <laughs> the whole process and gave up. Yeah. But I, yeah, I still have my vinyl collection in storage. It was one of the boxes, actually, we didn't get to in the... Uh, in the storage movement through last weekend. Um, but it is something that I think about that I'm going to have to eventually digitize that. Well, if you want to make sure it's still around generations from now, yeah, if you don't digitize it, who's going to do it? Well, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. You know, in fact, I should probably do it. I've got uh, a couple. I have. A, I kept a couple of vinyls, and some of them are the very first Frank Zappa mm-hmm. uh, LP, that Freak Out album, mm-hmm. and uh, and a couple other things. And uh, yeah, it but you know, really, I mean, that you know, if, if, even if they were worth money, why the fuck should they be worth money? <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't play it on anything. <laughs> I guess people do have people still do use uh, turntables, don't they? Yes, the they real do. purists out the there. The real purists. Yes. That's right. Yes, I think eventually I will have to have a turntable if I'm ever going to convert all this music over to something. Really? Mm. 
I used to oh, DJ yeah. her. Oh, yeah, if you're going to do it. Turntables are actually yeah. a large part of my... When I was in the UK, I purchased a turntable. In Australia, I never purchased them. I always was given broken ones and just repaired them. Hmm. But, um, no, in the UK, I forked across some pounds and had a, a quite a, actually quite a nice turntable. And I guess eventually when we have a house and all the other boxes have been ticked, um, then the, I will purchase a turntable. Well, when I actually see the vinyl again, that will be a great motivating factor yeah. to purchase a turntable again. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun to hear what these things sound like. I've got them all on uh, CD, well, on the MP3s mm-hmm. now. And, and they sound awesome. I mean, they're just beautiful. Hmm. <laughs> So much better than those scratchy vinyls, man. Are you familiar with the work of King Crimson? When I say King Crimson, is that a uh, music group that you've heard? No, I mean, I've heard of them, and I've probably heard their music, but by the time... What years were they? Uh, uh, kind of 68 through to 72. Oh, really? Okay, so that was They're, my prime time. They have That's an interesting. album cover, which is for the... Um, King Crimson Court of the Crimson King album. It's an album cover which is a painted face with the mouth open in a kind yeah. of horrific gaze where you can see. The I have consoles. no real recollection for them. If yeah. there was some song that was a twenty first century schizoid man. In yeah, the that of the sounds Crimson familiar. King. Yeah, yes, they had a very um, kind. For of, some reason, I just never picked up on them. Yes. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I know the name and that song you just mentioned i that rings a bell too <laughs> so. yeah they're yeah they haven't really been heavily covered either i think perhaps due to the copyright related stuff too but they were in that um children of man uh movie they were used quite well uh-huh. in that um to relate to the aristocracy in that uh film mm. but yeah i probably need to go and see that film again it was one of the fun it was one of those films where i bought two dvds of it accidentally so i was in one <laughs> circumstance I thought, oh that movie was okay and i bought a dvd and about a year and a half later i bought a dvd again of it. Mm, it well good sense. so you can send one to somebody else yes <laughs> it's funny now because even the dvd looks like an lp to me oh yeah i mean it, is, oh, yeah. it just it, it looks like old media Oh, it is. Yeah, they look awful. Yeah, Blu-ray. Well, even well, Blu-rays. No, no. I'm talking about the physical media itself. I look at it and I think this is like a tape. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole idea of stuff. I mean, who the fuck wants stuff? I don't want any more stuff. You know, I don't need stuff. (laughs) Just give me a file that I can download and do something with. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So what else do I have on my yeah, list? Yeah, see, that's the, that's this thing about books, you know? I mean, I look at these books here, and, I, and it's funny because I, they're such a big part of my life. I love books. Mm. But, but now, and I still love books. It's just that I prefer them on my iPad now. I've gotten so used to the functionality of having, you know, a dictionary immediately available at the push of a, a, of a word you know, and the ability to take notes and then find them all later and have them coordinated. And, you know, I mean, that's just, in a piece of paper, I got to write it down in the margins, get my pen out and write it down there or add it into a file somewhere. <laughs> if I don't know the word, then I'm going to get the iPad out and look it up. <laughs> As I was recovering last weekend, I went to the beach with my wife 
there are actually a number of beaches within about an hour's drive from where we are. And we found quite a small one that was off a, a road out of nowhere. It's still a national park, so you pay the, pay the ranger as you go in. But you had to wade through kind of ankle-high water before you actually got to the beach, and that was enough to dissuade probably a number of the folks that would have gone sure, to the beach. Sure, yeah, right, yeah. And we found ourselves on a beach that was basically without people with um, sandstone cliffs behind us, and I had a childhood memory. I used to go to the beach um, through the summer months pretty heavily to the point where I would turn a completely different colour um, and, you know, return back. Uh, very dark skin to my kind of cold, cold camera environment. But um, the one thing that I used to do that I had great fun was building sandcastles at the point where the waves were breaking. And I would kind of competitively build these sandcastles and they'd have elaborate moat systems and things <laughs> like that. And I looked at this circumstance as we had the waves kind of crash up around us and realised that there was something about fighting against the beachhead, which is ultimately what you were doing in that system because you know the waves were coming in the the inevitability was that your castle would be consumed eventually but you just had to find more ingenious ways of actually stopping your walls collapsing and keeping the water that you wanted in and no, it would be no fun at all to just build the damn castle above the water line no, no that would really never mind yeah no <laughs> No, you or you can put it real close to the edge, and then there's the possibility that if it's a really high tide, then it'll wipe you out, but maybe it'll survive. Here's the important thing about the tide line that you're missing here, Heron. Mm-hmm. If you dig even two inches down into the tide line, you have a pool that's created. Oh, I know. Okay, so you're doing it within that area. So okay. yeah, what I'm doing yeah. is aiming yeah. to create a contained pool oh, with yeah. also a yeah. wall around it. Yeah, I got it. And I would do this for hours and hours on end, probably from when I was eight till I was probably too old to be doing these kind of things. And I thought as I looked there, I mean, I wasn't dressed for the occasion, but I thought if I had an isolated beach with no one watching, would I actually return to this pursuit because it was pretty fun when i was a kid <laughs> and i thought how, how embarrassing would it be for adults to spy upon this you know 30 something up to his waist in a large castle yeah, that he yeah. built with these kind of things and i thought this is what motivates people to have children on some fundamental level that they because can- they don't have the fucking balls to do it themselves <laughs> You have to have kids to do it for them, and the kids don't want to do that. They want to play Nintendo. What, what, the phenomenon <laughs> that I need to create here is extreme sandcastle building. I need to go out with a camera crew, create like like dragon-shaped castles or something, and then call it extreme castle building and write down some specific rules, get some people yeah, with tattoos right, yeah. to do it as well, yeah, right, and then it all becomes strangely legitimate once again. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a pursuit similar to that when I lived in Manhattan Beach. Uh, And actually, it turns out, you know, you can dig down to the waterline, not just at the tide line. Of course. But if you go up 100 yards, and if you dig deep enough, you hit water. So some friends of mine and I got this great idea to... um, to dig down from up near the top of the beach there, we dug a hole, <clears throat> I don't know, about 10 feet deep. We brought shovels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And we had this huge hole. We finally hit the, the wet line. sand, you yeah. know, and we were shoveling that all up. And the whole point was we used to do this game when we would be 
high mm-hmm. is uh, we'd shovel up all these and then we'd lay like like um, there's like ten of us and we'd be we'd array ourselves like spokes on a wheel around this hole we dug and just watch as the sun as the sun dried out the wet sand on oh, this yes. crater we dug it would slowly start to crumble grain by grain yes, yes. and it would create you know it was like a miniature of geological evolution Certainly. and and so we'd all be totally stoned on marijuana and laying around this big hole in the sand that we dug while people are walking by us down the stairs to get to the beach. And every once in a while, there'd be a big avalanche mm-hmm. and everybody around the window would go, yeah, did you see that? You know, it was you know, people walking by you were wondering what the hell is wrong with those people. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. That was great fun. Yeah, digging holes in the sand uh, is a wonderful pastime. You got me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need to reclaim this. Find isolated beaches and... Uh... Yes, I think there's some reality TV show in there, I'm sure. Extreme you know, I like cuts. the idea of, of uh, rock balancing. I mean, that's getting sort of trite now. Mm. But, but still, it really is a cool idea, you know, to do that in a stream somewhere. Yeah, it'll it'll last for a few months probably or whatever till the next big rain. Yes. Yeah, but you know that's just kind of a, a cool way of saying I was here. <laughs> yes. It's better than graffiti anyway. Certainly. <laughs> Did you see the article associated with the fifteen-year-old Chinese kid? Uh, which fifteen-year-old? Gra- he graffitied on um, some hieroglyphics in Egypt. Uh, no, I guess I missed that. All the way back to China, only for another Chinese tourist to take the photograph of the graffiti on the hieroglyphics. And then it became an internet meme, and the internet tracked this kid down <laughs> and then hacked his school's web page. And according to his parents that released a statement, he had cried all night and was very sorry. He'd made his way back to China, having enacted this piece of uh, <laughs> vandalism. And the Egyptian authorities, I mean, imagine a 15-year-old graffitiing on the Mona Lisa. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, that's unforgivable. But but it's astonishing that he got away with it. I mean, this is an Egyptian... Well, no, it's, yeah, well, it's a little, well, I don't know, I haven't been to the pyramids, but... I don't know how how much how guarded they are. I've seen photographs of people on top of the pyramids, and they're not supposed to be up there. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, they don't have enough security to actually. Yeah, give so up the yeah, they may not have very good security there. But it is an interesting phenomenon that basically the internet, fueled by disgust, if you if you see an image of the graffiti on the, it is because he. It's sandstone. He graffitied, he scratched it, basically, yeah. to put the graffiti on. It is yeah. the, the gut reaction that I've seen everyone, everyone who I've shown this to, yeah. the immediate gut reaction is it's, so extreme yeah. because you Kill the fuck. That's what the Chinese, <laughs> I mean, the Chinese government, their bark is clearly louder than their bite. But one Chinese <laughs> official came out and said that. Yeah. I don't think anything's going to happen to the kid. I honestly think this is a... This is the well, crime of the century yeah. that has been, you know. However, you know, his school website was hacked, and the internet has spoken. No, I think he's he's probably it. learned quite a bit out of this <laughs> as a fifteen-year-old kid. Let's just hope he wakes up. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, when the Taliban blew up those Buddhist statues, yeah. uh, that that just was. I thought, God, that's just. How could we allow that? <laughs> you know, that's just that was really shameful. Yes. But then again, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so attached to all this all this stuff. You know, you know, it, and eventually it's all going to go. You know, it's, yeah. it's just a matter of time. It's just shitty when people do it unnecessarily. I guess. I mean, if a flood does it, or you know, or whatever. But yeah, when people do it needlessly, that that that's we need to stop that. Yes, it is a phenomenon associated with antiquities in particular that it is very strange. I mean, this is the whole notion of private collectors as well. I've heard from Wozniak's people when I spent time with them that Wozniak was constantly courted by an antiquities dealer in San Francisco, and would like they would go in and he would have like a mummy or these kind of things yeah. that he was interested in dealing. The only thing they ever considered was a mummified penis because that was the only thing that they it was <laughs> fitting with the decor, you know, a mummified <laughs> penis that he could pull out at parties, you know, saying, oh, some ancient Egyptian schlong here, you know, let's measure ourselves versus the mummy penis. Um, but yeah, it was a phenomena. It was a phenomena. I don't know what, um, you know, what would happen associated with with, uh, you know, these, these kind of things. Where one needs to be in one's life before one starts considering kind of commercially purchasing antiquities. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> who knows? I, it's not something I have to worry about. Yeah, it's, so. it's, not the, it's not in the field of vision of me. It's not in my so, budget yeah. for the foreseeable future. Yes, yes. It'll just have to take care of itself. yes. Yeah, there are so many questions about, you know, I mean, the easy talk is resource-based economy, but that's irrelevant because that nobody knows what the fuck that means. Mm. But when you try to figure out how would a real, reasonable planet, you know, imagine if everybody in the planet really was awake, <laughs> you know, really didn't believe everything they heard their language machine say. Everybody. How how would we organize ourselves so that we maximize our ability to have fun here, and uh, you know, and, and do something cool? Well, with that in mind, Hiram, I think I'm going to have to call it an evening. So we've uh, we've covered a number of topics, but my wife has collapsed next to me, and the apartment has gotten too hot. So I'm going to have to leave you this evening with that thought, with the view that. Um, if you have a few more minutes in your evening and a piece of paper nearby, consider topics for our next recording. There you go. Good night. It's been good talking with you, Aaron. Take care. See you. <laughs>